Hope you guys are doing well this morning. My name is Matt Rice, teaching pastor here. I want to welcome you here. So glad that you guys are here. Let me go ahead and pray for us. We're going to jump into Ruth chapters 2, 3, and part of 4. We've got a lot to cover this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I love you. I thank you for the privilege of being in this place at this time. I thank you for this beautiful, beautiful love story. And we pray, Lord, that you would captivate our hearts to, yes, let us see this love story. Ruth and Boaz, but Lord, at the end of the day, that you would allow us to see and declare that the king is coming, that he did come and he's coming again, and that we can celebrate the first time he came by we entering into this season, and we can wait with expectation when he comes again. So we love you, we thank you, bless our time together in Jesus' name, amen. I like to ski, I don't ski very often. I went to Colorado to ski. If you go to skiing in Colorado, it's very different than the east. I grew up in the northeast. Northeast is kind of icy. Colorado is like God-made fluffy stuff straight out of heaven, right? And so I am not a good skier. I've fallen off two ski lifts in my life, like, like around the five-foot mark. So not like the 20-foot mark, but it, it really, that's a longer story for another day. I had already fallen off those chairlifts, and I was going to Colorado, and I was like, you know what, I am just going to get in my mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress like I'm a skier. I went to a friend and I was like, man, I need the best, I need your coat. You have like the nicest, the newest, the most up-to-date version of the north-faced ski jacket. He gave me a ski jacket. It was bright yellow with black lining. I mean, it was, it was, it was legit. And I got ski bibs, like really nice ones. And I've got the scarf because you've got to cover everything when you're skiing in Colorado and the hat. I mean, I just got to tell you something. I looked really cool. I looked really cool. And then something happened. I started to ski. <laughs> and everybody's like, well, he looks like a skier. He's really not a skier. I was dressed apart. And here's what, what we're looking at right now. We are looking at Ruth and we're looking at Boaz. In chapters 2, 3, and the end of 4, or the beginning of 4. And what we're seeing is two individuals that are passionately committed to the God of the universe. And it can just overwhelm us and it can even encourage us. And the reason that God gives them to us, like other examples in the scripture, is so that we might be encouraged by them, but simply, simply when we take a look at Ruth and Boaz, that we will look to them, but most importantly, we will look through them. We will look to them for encouragement, but we will look through them to see what it is that we can see in the Christ that has come and saved us and the God that they serve. And so really, I think it's important that we will look at Boaz and Ruth, but we want to look through Boaz and Ruth that we may see King Jesus and celebrate all that he has come to do and will do, and let's do that together. So we're going to jump into chapter 2. We've got a lot. I'm going to read a couple of verses here and there to sort of set the stage. We know that Ruth has made an absolute declaration that I'm going to follow you. Where you go, I will go. Your God shall be my God. She makes an absolute declaration of one of the clearest pictures of coming to Christ, of faith in God in the Old Testament. One of the clearest pictures. We pick up chapter 2, and we got to picture something Ruth is a Moabite living in Bethlehem. She has no status. She has no prestige. She doesn't have a lot of stuff. And so she sits there with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and they're like, what are we going to do? And Ruth 
comes and she says, I gotta go to work. It's harvest season. It lasts about anywhere from five to seven weeks. And I need to go to the fields because the fields, really what takes place is that those that are poor, those that are oppressed, those that don't have any status, they can follow behind the harvesters, the reapers. They can follow behind them and pick up what's off the ground. And Ruth just says, I've got to go to work. Chapter 2, verse 2, we're going to start right there. It says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Here's the part that just absolutely jumped out to me this, this week. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Verse seven, you jump down at the end of verse seven and it says, so she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. The testimony of this young woman, this Moabite woman, this woman who had no status, the testimony is, man, she is, she's getting after it, she's working. She's out in the field and she's doing some things. And here what we need to see is two things. Number one, the providence of God, and number two, our responsibility. Because the providence of God gives us rest. We love to know that God's in control. We love to hold on to that. We love to grab a hold of it. It gives us rest. It allows us to sleep, declaring that God is in control and he is in charge of everything. And everything that goes through comes into our lives, goes through the filter of his hands. That's the providence of God. And it gives us a lot of rest. But also, it is not an excuse for us to be lazy. It's not, because Ruth jumps into the field and what is she doing? Well, in modern day terminology, she's collecting cans and going to the recycle bin. Where when I grew up in Connecticut, you collect cans and you would go in and put them in and get 10 cents per can. That's the equivalent of what she's doing. She's going over to the harvest fields and she's picking up the scraps that are on the ground to provide for her family. Listen, the providence of God can give you and I rest, but let us not make an excuse for doing nothing. So there and say, God's in charge, so I won't witness. Philemon 1 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may declare every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, I pray that you may be my witnesses. God is in charge, so I won't pray. But 1 Thessalonians 5 17 says that we would pray without ceasing. So, yes, we rest in God's providence. We rest in his sovereignty. And Ruth is sitting here and she's enjoying, whoa, wow, I happen to be in this field of Boaz who is related to Elimelech and he could possibly be our redeemer because that's how the redeemer had to come through the line of Elimelech. Let us have responsibility for doing such things like that. I was overwhelmed with God's providence the other day. I was overwhelmed with God's providence. I was doing a service at a church and I was getting, I went to the church as a funeral and I went to the church to look at the church. I got done at the church and I went outside and the custodian who takes care of the church was, was in the back at this dumpster and I pulled up and he goes, yo man, I love that truck. And man, he just started commenting on my truck. He started talking about my truck and I was like, man, well, thanks. I mean, it is new and I do like it. And we were talking about it and talking about it and all this kind of stuff like that. And he told me he worked at the church. And I said, listen, I just need to ask you a question. He said, what's that, man? I said, uh, he was dressed up in his Redskins outfit. 
I mean, red-skinned hat, red-skinned shirt. I said, listen, you and I have something in common. We both work at a church, but just because we work at a church does not mean that we're a Christian, a follower of God. So can you tell me what a Christian is? I'm getting ready to do a service for a 49-year-old man who passed away of a heart attack. I can't sit there and stand next to this dumpster while you're throwing away trash and while I'm getting ready to leave and just ask. And I just asked him and he said, oh man, oh man, oh man, you messed me up, man. That's what he kept saying. Looked me in the face and he said, I have placed my faith in Christ. One of the most unbelievable, he said, I want to tell you something. I was going to throw trash away on the other side of the building and I've decided to throw it away on this side. I believe that it was God's hand so that you and I could talk about Jesus and be encouraged because things have been tough. I just want you, I want us to recognize, I want us to recognize that God places and positions us for his glory and it's the providence of God. Trust him, follow him, let us rest in it, but let us not simply just do nothing. Boaz had a conversation with Ruth as we continue the story. She had a conversation with Ruth. Remember the time, uh, remember that time uh, was filled with people that were doing things that were doing what was right in their own eyes. This is the time of the judges. Everything was going uh, haywire. They were in overwhelming sin. Okay, the Israelites were being seduced and giving in to the Moabite women. And all of a sudden we have this picture of this family that's sitting right here in the middle of all that's going on. And we have this picture of Ruth. We have this picture of Boaz. And Boaz, it is said that he is a worthy man, meaning that he is wealthy and he is able. Let's see what Boaz tells Ruth after he comes into contact with her in the field and sees that she's working. Let's see what he says to her. Remember, remember, we must look to Boaz, but we must look through Boaz to see Christ. And I want you to see how he protects her. And hopefully that'll stir up some affection for Christ in your life as we read verse eight. Verse eight says this, and Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field. He said, I want you to stay right here. Why? Because I'm gonna take care of you. Or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Verse nine, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz treats her with great respect. She thanks Boaz for all that he has done. That's definitely a picture of what Christ has done for us and all that he's done for us and how he has protected us. Let's jump over to verses 14 and 17 in chapter two. And I want you to see what happens in verse 14. Verse 14 comes, the, the day has ended, the harvest time has ended, it's verse 14. Here's what it says, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and drip your morsel in wine. Listen to me, last night I could not stop. I couldn't even study anymore because that verse just messed me up. Because what did Jesus do with his disciples? He brought them in, he broke bread. And he said, this is my body that is given for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. And he holds this cup up and says, hey, this is the new covenant. And here is Boaz. He sits with this woman. He says, take some bread and drink some wine. What happens when we do that or when we remember that? What happens? So let's go on the, the rest of 14. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. I look at Ephesians chapter one where it says, and God lavished his love on us. Lavished, overcome us. 
We have been overcome by his grace and his love. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That's 30 pounds of barley. So here is the greatness. This is what Boaz is doing. He's taking care of her. He's loving her, just like King Jesus has done to you and me. And Ruth carried 30 pounds of barley back to Naomi. She is the first person that has ever done CrossFit. CrossFit, you gotta watch your knees, but I'm telling you, it hurts. That hurts. It's a serious workout there. But Ruth has got this thing of barley on her neck or wherever, her shoulder, and she's walking back to her home, and she's like, hey, hey, Naomi, you are not going to believe all that I have. I've got enough. And Naomi looks at her, and Naomi looks at her, and she and Ruth informs Naomi of all that Boaz has done and all that's taken place. And I believe truly that she's giving credit to God in this situation. She declares all that God has done, all that God has done through Boaz. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Naomi, who we're referring to as Mara, her head starts to come up. Her head starts to come up. Because last week, her head went down because she was bitter. And all of a sudden, her head went down, and all of a sudden, it starts to come up. Oh my goodness, God is at work. She starts to see, she starts to think, oh my word, that he is in charge that he truly is who he says he is, that he's going to take care of us. I have said that. I have followed that. I have started to doubt that, and I really believe that he's not interested in me. And she gets bitter, and then all of a sudden, there's a turn happening, and there's a turn happening in her spirit. And I want to let you know something. If you are bitter, I pray that the great lifter of your soul will lift you up to see all that God is doing right now in your life for his glory and your good. So that you would not walk around as Mar, but you would walk around as Naomi. Reflecting on all that he's done. So Naomi, I think there's a great change right now. Her faith starts, starts to turn. May that be an encouragement to us. And that's chapter 2. We're going to jump to chapter 3 right now. So we jump into chapter 3. And I need to tell you right now that Naomi gets probably pretty excited about what's going on. But she gives some advice that I would never give to my daughter. We're going to talk about that. You storytellers, we understand here, storytellers are giving, really, they're describing events. They're not prescribing events. And please understand that, listen, we don't know all of the details. But Naomi is very encouraging to Ruth to be very bold in her declaration of love to Boaz. We have to understand, too, here, that when you take a look at the situation that's going on, we understand that there are a lot of people that are doing what's right in their own eyes. But God in his sovereignty has decided to shine his light through Ruth and Boaz who are doing the right thing. So although this may not be great advice or something like that, we recognize that Naomi has great confidence in Ruth's character and great confidence in Boaz as well. So we come down here and we take a look in verse 1 of chapter 3. And here's the instructions that she gives Naomi. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? 
Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. Here is a quote about the threshing floor. This is sort of the context of the time of what's going on. Farmers would toss a mixture of straw, grain, and chaff in the air with a pitchfork. The heavier kernels of grain would fall to the ground while the chaff would be blown away. The winnowing especially occurred at night because the nightly breezes needed for the separation. The location was on a hilltop. It was usually done on a hard surface such as bedrock so that the grain would not mix. Further, these threshing floors were communal places often shared by members of the village and were places of joy and celebration. The workers would sleep in these locations in order to protect their grain. We should also remember that the threshing floor was the place associated with immoral behavior. Yet Naomi sees this as an opportunity for Ruth to have a special meeting with Boaz despite the dangerous nature of things. She clearly has a high view of God and a high view of Boaz. And when you talk about the theme of God's providence in this book and you talk about the theme of redemption, this is a situation where that area can be redeemed for what God could use it for. That area could be redeemed. So verse six, what happens? And this advice is given to Ruth. So what happens? Verse six declares what's going on. So, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, which is, whether poor or rich. You are a woman of integrity. You are a woman of character. Verse 11, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. It was customary means of requesting marriage when you take the cover and uncover the foot. It was a request for marriage during the time. He was frightened to see Ruth at the end of his bed and I don't think you would be relaxed at that time. My father-in-law left Apex Baptist Church. He was a pastor there for 27 years. You've heard me say that. He then went to a church that he pastored in Momire, North Carolina, a very rural place, and he had pastored that church from 80 to 84. The church had a parsonage. That's a house that the pastor lives in. So my father-in-law and mother-in-law would live there. This house was massive. While they were there the last couple of years, we would go there and have Christmas. This particular Christmas, which happened four years ago, we were in the house, and we were getting ready to go to sleep. My, my brother-in-law was there, his kids, Dan and myself, our kids, everybody was there. And all of a sudden, my mother-in-law was in the room and she screamed louder than any scream I've ever heard in my life. She screamed, someone is under my bed and grabbed my feet. And I go running in there. She says, Matt, she's balled up in the bed. She's like curled up in a fetal position, all like this, has a high bed. She says, 
Look under the bed right now. Somebody just grabbed my feet. Somebody just reached out. Somebody's under there. And I was like, no, there's not. That's really dumb, but I wouldn't look. <laughs> I was like, the look on her face was that somebody was legitimately under there and somebody had just grabbed her feet. And so I need to tell you that I decided to slowly go down and look under the bed. And it was none other than Orville Philip Qualls laughing, which is her husband, under the bed. <laughs> and he was dying laughing and not saying a word. He was just sitting there and his leg was shaking. His face had this big grin on it like that. And she said, Phil, stop it. <laughs> Heard that a lot of times in my life. Very, very funny. So when I'm sitting here and she's like, oh, put your feet over there. And I just started thinking about Phil and Kathy and the practical jokes those two would play on each other. And so that, that, is, that is hilarious. Verse 11. Here's what verse 11 says. Here's, here's what it comes. Verse 11, it continues and it says, and now my daughter, do not fear. Here's what he says to them. Here's what he says to them. So it says to her, I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And so Jesus, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I will do for them what they cannot do for themselves. Boaz is a worthy man and he must follow the laws of the land. Really, really understand this. So what he has to do right now is he needs to obey the law of the land and there is someone that is a redeemer that's a closer line to Elimelech than he is. Boaz, being the man that he is, being the follower of God that he is, he wants to make sure that he obeys the law of the land. So verse 12, what it says in verse 12. And now, it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. 13, remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So we finish chapter three, and we jump over into chapter four, and picturing what's going on right now. And Boaz basically says, okay, here's the situation. I am willing to redeem her. I've seen her. She's a woman of character. I am willing to redeem her. I am in the line of Elimelech, but there is one that's over me and I need to follow the law of the land. And so what does he do? He goes and he finds this no-named uh, this no-name uh, family member. We don't even know his name. Verse chapter four does not give us his name. And he gathers the elders together in the town. He brings this, this no-named man in before in front and says, okay, here is the situation. Naomi's gonna sell her land. She's gotta sell her land in order to provide for her family. She has no rights. She has no status. And so we need you to, to basically be a kinsman redeemer, to be a redeemer and to come in and to take care of her and then continue that family line through Elimelech. Oh, and, uh, and by the way, you need to marry Ruth and have a son. This is what he says in verse, verse four of chapter four. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, but in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not let me know, let me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field and the hand of the Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the, of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead 
in this inheritance. Here's what he says. Notice the difference right now of this redeemer and the picture of this redeemer. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And so all this comes to happen. They take off the sandal and give it to, to uh, Boaz. And Boaz goes to this ceremonial thing that, that, that basically declares, I will step up and I will be your redeemer. Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. And he basically looks at her and says, your redemption is finished. But what about our redemption? What about ours? Because here's the point of all of that right there that we come to. Next week, we'll jump into chapter four, the end of chapter four, and we'll go to chapter one of Matthew. Adam has once again been blessed to be given a bunch of names to preach on. Those of you who have been through Nehemiah and other books of the Bible, I have skillfully mastered the art of giving those to Adam. We'll take a look at the son that they have as Obed, and we'll trace that all the way to Christ. This is what we'll do next week. As we go into Christmas Eve. But what do we look at? This is, this is what Boaz is declaring. This is what's taking place. There is a redemption that you need. And Boaz fulfills it. And he fulfills it in completion. It is done and it is finished. But listen, as we look at Boaz and as we look at Luth, we look to them, but we also look through them so that we might see the hand of Christ and all of this. And when we look through them and we see Christ, what does it tell us about our own redemption. Number one, our redemption is personal. We can take a look and we can lose. If we want to build a theology here of God's providence and God's sovereignty, we want to look, look at this, of God's forgiveness and God's grace. Those are great, and those are great theological concepts that are all wrapped up in this, this, this story. We can also get wrapped up in this great love story. But if we miss the personal nature of Ruth's redemption and our redemption, we miss the Christ that is so evident in this book. And that would be an error. Ruth illustrates the personal nature of redemption. She's a real, Jesus is a real person in human history. He died for me, you are a real person. Redemption, as we are seeing in the book of Ruth, listen, is personal. When you say John 3, 16, you're talking about yourself and so am I talking about myself. This is the fact that is most significant in the book of Ruth. We can take a look at the thief on the cross. He was personal. We can take a look at you. you can, I can take a look at me. It is personal. God is real. You are real. God knows all there is to know about you. The hairs on your head, what you are thinking, what you will think, what you will do this afternoon, and what you won't do this afternoon. He knows it all. He came to you. He came for me. It is is personal. You are a name. You are not a number. I went to Gardner-Webb University and I loved my time there. And the reason, one of the reasons I loved my time there is there was about 25 to 30 people per class. I think that I would have been overwhelmed if I had a class of 300. But God sovereignly put me in a class and I just, my professors, if I wasn't there, they'd call me out by name. Where were you yesterday, Matt? I mean, it was, it was that. It was personal. And here's what we do. We serve a personal God. Our redemption is personal. He knows everything there is to know about you, what you need before you even need it. Number two, our redemption is the result of the Redeemer's work. Oh, my gosh. 
Our redemption is the result of our Redeemer's work. Boaz goes to great lengths to become the redeemer of Ruth in the city of Bethlehem. So remember where we are. Where's the setting? We're in the city of Bethlehem. It's the harvesting time. Last week we learned that Jesus is the bread of life. The the name Bethlehem is the, the city of bread. He protects her. He provides for her. He paid the price for her redemption. And he respects her. He fully redeemed her more than 2,000 years ago. God the Father sent God the Son into the same exact area. He grew to be a 33-year-old man. He was mocked, beaten, ridiculed for saying he was able and willing to take away the sin of man. John chapter 19, verse 30. He hung on a cross and he declared these words. It is, say it, it's finished. And yes, and when we look to Boaz, Boaz is saying, you are redeemed. And Christ looks at us, and we look at that manger that's filled with the baby, didn't just stay a baby, came 33 years later, hanging on a cross. He declares boldly, it is finished. All that needed to be done, he did. He was willing to pay the price. He did it, not us. Our redemption is the result of the Redeemer's work. It's personal And it's based on the Redeemer's work. Not only that, our redemption is the result of our Redeemer's love. Our redemption is is the result of our Redeemer's love. Yes, it's personal. And yes, it's done by Christ himself. But why was it done? For God so loved the world. This is really simple and I don't want you to miss it. Boaz saw Ruth and loved what he saw. You know, in chapter two, he, he noticed her. She was pretty. Who is that? He noticed her. He saw how she took care of her mother-in-law. He saw how she worked and how her faith was on display. And she did not run around with younger men like others were doing. And the Bible says that God is love. 1 John 1.8 says God is love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Romans 5.8, for God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, he died for us. What should stir our affection as a Christ follower, as a Christian, is the wonder of Christ followers for sinners like us. In Deuteronomy, it says this, and because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power. Here's a quote for you right now. Jesus Christ came to save sinners It doesn't matter what kind of sinner you are. What matters is what kind of savior he is. He is love. And Bethlehem represents that better than anything we've ever seen, asked, or could imagine in our lives. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. It does not matter what kind of sinner you are. It matters what kind of savior he is. There's not a sin in the world that he cannot forgive. He is love. Let us not lose sight of all that he is. The book of Ruth gives us a concrete example of the Lord's personal and particular love for you and I. We take a look and we see Ruth and we see Boaz and yes, we get encouraged as we should. We get encouraged simply as we should. But let us not miss the Christ the coming Christ, the King who has come that we celebrate here at Christmas that will come again. And when we say that, we say, Lord, come quickly. But in the meantime, we trust in his providence 
We have responsibility and we rejoice in our redemption because it's personal. It's by his work and it's all for his glory. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I pray that God, you would be glorified in all ways, shapes, and forms. I thank you for our band that's gonna come out here and play in just a minute. I pray for these songs, that you would use these songs to encourage us, use these songs to, to motivate us to Christ-likeness. I pray that you and you alone would be glorified. Thank you that we have something to say about. Lord, when we think of our own redemption, we think of the cost that was made for us. Yes, we celebrate the baby being in a manger, and yes, we celebrate the wise men coming and the shepherds coming. Yes, we celebrate all of those things and we look to that and we, we see who you were coming as a baby and we see who you revealed to us and that is the king. You were the king in that major. You were the king going to the cross and you are the king today. Let us not simply just say it with our mouths, but let us live it with our lives. Thank you that you have redeemed each of, you have redeemed us. And that there's, if there's anyone in here right now that has not been redeemed, I pray that today that they would say yes to you, that they would repent and believe and follow you with everything that is in them. I pray that they would look to Ruth and look to Boaz and be encouraged by someone who has said yes to you. And I pray, God, that you would convict them and open up their eyes to see truth. And I pray for those of us that are believers, let us be refreshed, let us be reminded, and let us be passionate about being intentional, about living for you. Thank you for coming in that manger and thank you for coming to the cross and thank you for coming into our lives. Let us be different because of that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.